today, we'll focus our attention on what it means to be ready for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, as a way of illustration, here is something that's interesting. Think about this. The destruction of the ancient city of Pompeii in 8079 was caused by the eruption of the infamous mountain, Mount Vesuvius. The incredible fact is Vesuvius had erupted more than 50 times before. Over 50 different times, the residents of Pompeii were given the opportunity to move away because of the eruptions of Vesuvius. Now, friend, I don't know about you, but if I live near an active volcano which is constantly erupting, I would quickly move away from there. Makes sense, right? Well, because of seismic activity was so common in the area, citizens paid little attention in early August of 1879 when several quakes shook the earth beneath Pompeii. People were unprepared for the explosion that took place shortly after noon on the 24th of August. Mount Vesuvius destroyed the city of Pompeii, a city south of Rome in 1879, about 25 hours according to history. About 6.30 a.m. on the following morning, a glowing cloud of volcanic gases and debris rolled down Vesuvius's slope and enveloped the city of Pompeii. Most victims died instantly as the superheated air burned their lungs and contracted their muscles, leaving the bodies in a semi-curled position to be quickly buried in ash and thus preserved in detail for hundreds of years. It is believed that around 30,000 people died from the eruption of Mount Vesuvius. Well, inside today's Advent message, we'll examine what God wishes for us in preparation for the return of His Son to take us home to heaven. My name is Brent Winfield, and I'm a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, and this is the Advent message. <clears throat> Saints of God, most people in the world today are oblivious to the ominous signs of the times. Just as is in the tragic times of Pompeii, people today are not heeding the warning messages that God is sending. God's people are not prepared for the loud cry of the third angel. They have a work to do for themselves, they should not leave for God to do for them. God has left this work for them to do. It is an individual work. One individual cannot do it for another individual. Quote, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. End quote. See 2 Corinthians 7, 1. God requires his people to cleanse themselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. All those who are indifferent and excuse themselves from this work, waiting for the Lord to do for them that which he requires them to do for themselves, hmm? 
will be found wanting. If God's people make no effort on their part, but wait for the refreshing to come upon them to remove their wrongs and correct their errors, well, if they depend upon the latter rain to cleanse them from filthiness of the flesh and spirit, and then fit them to engage in the loud cry of the third angel, oh friend, they will be found wanting. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit comes only upon those who have prepared themselves for the Holy Spirit by doing the work which God asks of them, namely, cleansing themselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit and perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. Oh, I'm reminded of the story about Simon the sorcerer, stories found in the book of Acts. The Bible tells us in Acts 8, 9-24 that this man who became converted joined himself to Peter in the early church. Now I believe that sorcerer who was, whose name was Simon was sincere enough, I guess, and as a result was baptized into the church. The problem was he did not want to put in the time and effort to rid himself of the old sinful nature. Simon saw Philip. Peter and the other apostles laying hands on the newly baptized members, thereby imparting to them the power of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> well, the Bible tells us that Simon lusted after this power. See, he was a newly baptized member himself. But instead of fasting and praying and calling upon God in an effort to cleanse himself, what he did is that he wanted the reward without none of the work. And we're told in verse 18 and 19, quote, And when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands he may receive the Holy Ghost. End quote. Acts 8, 18 and 19. Of course, Simon was severely rebuked by the Apostle Peter. There are too many individuals, friend, in the church today who instantly want the Holy Spirit without having to do any of the necessary fasting and praying and pleading to God. These people have acquired this fast food mentality because they have become accustomed to buying whatever they want. For these people, everything is for sale. For example, they expect to be made a church officer simply because they have made a large donation to the church building fund. In these precious closing hours of probation, we must experience a deep and living experience from being filled with the Holy Ghost. And because of this, we will form characters that will ensure our safe deliverance in the time of trouble. Now let me remind you of another time long ago when God's judgment fell upon a society that was filled with wickedness. In the days of Noah, a double curse was resting upon the earth as a consequence of Adam's transgression and the murder committed by Cain. 
Yet these two sins had not changed the beauty of the earth very much. The hills were crowned with majestic trees, supporting fruit-laden branches. The trees of the garden, the world, were vibrantly green and with health and sweetness, with the fragrance of millions of flowers. The fruits of the earth were in great variety and almost without limit. The human race had retained much of its early strength and brilliance in wake of the fall. But a few generations had passed since Adam had access to the tree of life, which was to prolong life. And man's life was still measured at that time by centuries. Friend, had that long-lived people, with their rare powers to plan and execute and devoted themselves to the service of God, they would have made their Creator's name a praise in the earth and would have answered the purpose for which He gave them life. Oh, friend, but they failed to do this. There were many giants at that time, men of great stature and strength, renowned for wisdom, skillful in creating the most intricate and wonderful objects. But their iniquity was in proportion to their skill and mental ability. God had given these antediluvians many and rich gifts, but they used his bounties to glorify themselves and turn them into a curse by fixing their affections upon the gifts instead of the gift giver. They used the gold and silver, the precious stones and the beautiful wood in the construction of huge home for themselves. And they tried to outdo one another in beautifying their houses with the most skillful architectural designs. They only searched for ways to gratify the desires of their own proud hearts and reveled in scenes of pleasure and wickedness. Not desiring to retain God in their knowledge, these people soon came to deny his existence. They loved and worshiped nature in place of the God of nature. They glorified human genius, worshiped the works of their own hands, and taught their children to bow down to graven images. In the green fields and under the shadow of the fruit-bearing trees, they set up the altars of their idols, huge acres of trees that kept their foliage throughout the year were dedicated to be the sites for the worship of false gods. With these groves were connected beautiful gardens, their long winding avenues overhung with fruit-bearing trees of all descriptions, adorned with statues and decorated with everything that could delight the senses. It was all designed to capture the most insatiable desires of the people to idol worship, worshiping the creature rather than worshiping the creator. Men put God out of their minds and worshiped the creatures of their own imagination. And as a result, they became more and more debased more and more sinful. The Bible tells us in the book of Genesis 
I quote, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. End quote. See Genesis 6-5. God had given the people, friends, of the antediluvian world his commandments as a rule of life, but his laws were transgressed, and every conceivable sin was the result. Early on, polygamy had been introduced into the society, contrary to divine order of God at the beginning of creation. The Lord gave to Adam one wife, showing his order in that regard, but after the fall, men chose to follow their own sinful desires. And as a result, crime and wretchedness increased rapidly. Neither the sacredness of marriage nor the rights of property were respected. Whoever coveted the wives or the possessions of his neighbor took them by force, and they then celebrated the violence of it. They enjoyed destroying life of animals, and the use of flesh for food rendered them still more cruel and bloodthirsty until they came to regard human life with astonishing indifference. The world at that time was in its infancy, yet iniquity had become so deep and so widespread that God could no longer bear with it. And God said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth. Sadly, the pre-love, pre-flood society mirrors our own society, indicating an imminent judgment by God. We're cautioned to watch so that we'll not be caught unaware. We want God's protection as the world undergoes upheaval. We cannot be careless, friend, by attempting to blend in with an evil society. Sadly, America's cities such as Chicago, the mob capital and murder capital, San Francisco, the homosexual capital, and Las Vegas, the gambling and adultery capital, rival and perhaps surpass even the evil reputation of Sodom and Gomorrah. The important point to bear in mind is that the world has seeped into the church. More and more evidences can be seen in the many ways Satan has influenced the minds of God's people. Sex before marriage, once against Christianity, is now almost the norm. The pervading violence that fills the Netflix television shows has no immediate outward effect on Christian viewers. Inane comedies, triviality shows, blood-soaked dramas engross the attention and fret away the precious time of church members. Unhealthy food, which was condemned a mere 40 years ago, has now risen in popularity by a church whose gluttony appears to have no bounds. The Parisian fashion designers have already market in the church with a sizable percentage of our congregations. Also, the drive to accumulate shiny objects such as cars and real estate and 
financial portfolio leaves no time for the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, indeed, the world in many ways has conquered the church. But friend, friend, listen to me. There is hope. There is hope because God has a remnant that refuses to bow the knee to Baal. There are still faithful brethren who stand firmly on the side of King Jesus. The question is, are you one of the faithful ones? Are you doing the work of preparation that is required of you? Those who are uniting with the world are receiving the worldly design and preparing for the mark of the beast. And those who are distrustful of self, those who are humbling themselves before God and purifying their souls by obeying the truth, well, they're receiving the heavenly design. And they're preparing for the seal of God in their foreheads. When the decree goes forth and the stamp is made, their characters will remain pure and spotless for eternity. Now is the time to prepare. The seal of God will never be placed upon the forehead of an impure man or an impure woman. It will never be placed upon the forehead of the ambitious world-loving man or world-loving woman. It will never be placed upon the forehead of men or women of false tongues or deceitful hearts. All who receive the seal must be without spot before God, candidates for heaven. Satan leads many to believe that God will overlook their unfaithfulness in the minor affairs of life. In the time of trouble, if the people of God have unconfessed sins, they will be overwhelmed by the evil one. But while God's remnant have a deep sense of their unworthiness, and by confessing every sin, they can be assured of salvation by the King of kings and Lord of lords. See, their sins have gone beforehand to judgment and have been blotted out. God's message for the inhabitants of the earth today is, quote, Be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. End quote. Matthew 24. Oh, friend, we're standing on the threshold of the crisis of the ages. In quick succession, the judgments of God will follow one after the other. Fire, flood, and earthquake, plus war and bloodshed. We're not to be surprised at this time by those events. For the angel of mercy cannot remain much longer to shelter the unrepentant church member. Will you, dear friend, accept the urgent call to repent? I know that you're a very strong Christian, but are you a member of God's book of life? It's not enough to call yourself a Christian. You must divest yourself with the aid of the Holy Spirit all the familiar sins that surround and envelop you. Put away the filthiness of the flesh and spirit and then rededicate your life strictly to Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Amen? Amen. Let us pray.
Father in heaven, we look around and we see the world closing in and behind the world, the evil one, Satan himself, motivating men and women to do evil. And that evil, O oh Lord, unfortunately seeping into your church. But Lord, we are determined to stand firm and true to you. We ask, O oh God, that your Holy Spirit take full control of us and hold us, O oh God, strong and mighty with our eyes fixed upon you. And help us, O oh Father, by the Holy Spirit, to be saved in your kingdom. We ask these mercies, along with the forgiveness of every sin, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, that's all for today, friend. Always remember, God loves you. Yes, he really, really does love you.